Hello, everybody. Welcome to Frame Trap. Today, I am joined by Ian Hink. Hi. And Bradley Ellis. Yo. I will be your host, Ben Moore. Uh, and as I was planning this episode, <laughs> it's been getting harder and harder, I think, to come up with like opening <coughs> like brief topics of conversation because it's like, well, we're all stuck inside mm-hmm. and have been. For most of the year, <laughs> it's just yeah. like we're all doing the same thing. Um, so I'm curious, like, you know, online shopping or digital games or whatever it is, have you guys purchased anything fun lately? <laughs> fun. Hmm. Well, I bought, fun, fun. I got this custom, the custom colors Xbox controller because I got tired of having to use DS for Windows on my computer. With my PS4 controller. Um, the games that just natively support DualShock yeah. are really, really nice. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Like Horizon. I've been playing Horizon on PC, which we'll talk about, and that, that supports it. But uh, that's a nice-looking controller, Ian. Yeah, it's blue, yeah, nice. blues and greens mostly, dark purples. But, uh, yeah, I like it. It's nice for, like, Sea of Thieves and stuff. I just sure. turn it on, and there you go. But, yeah, that's the thing I bought recently, I think. I think oh. my if you if you hear like a weird pat, I think my cat is playing with a ball behind me. That's <laughs> like it's it's like a ball on a track, and I think it's just acceptable it back and forth. So if that's what you hear, that's what that is. Brad, have you purchased anything? Fun? Yes, I got a sweatshirt recently. Like, can't wear it anytime soon, obviously. But <laughs> you guys might appreciate this. It's got. Bloodborne. Oh, nice. Nice. Hunter in the back has Maria and stuff. Oh, cool. Where did you get that from? Fan Gamer. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. You got good stuff there. You got a Souls shirt on, too. Well, hell yeah, brother. Yeah, Solaire, dude. Praise it. Solaire, a Hunter, and Sekiro, dude. Man, it's so crazy. I've known you guys for a long time. I didn't know you liked Souls games. That's that's, good. You learned something new. Sometimes it slips out. Yeah. I got I got to try them sometime. I've just heard of them. I've heard they're good. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. What about you, Ben? Did you buy anything? Um. I mean, I'm always buying games and stuff, but well, yeah. My my anything outside that. My wife ordered this. So, like, the cat East really likes playing with this. What we call the jingle stick, and it's just this little stick that has like tiny bells on it. it goes nuts for it it's great but he wants to play with it all the time and obviously we can't jingle the jingle stick all day and so she got him this like jingle stick on wheels where you just hit a button and it's like a little robot and it goes around the house whoa and so that's <laughs> cool. been great kind of because it does keep them occupied with us without us having to wave the stick but then it just keeps getting like Stuck? Stuck under my computer chair. Oh, no. So, that's a thing. Got but... cat swiping at your feet. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. wild. Yeah, that's been that's fun. That's really funny. Speaking of fun, let's talk about games. Brad, uh, there was a game that I-, I asked you what you've been playing, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting that you're bringing this. Talk, talk to me about Risk of Rain 2. Yeah, <laughs> so Risk of Rain 2 is a roguelike I was turned on to by Chris, and I guess she's seen some like streamers play. It's been in early access for a long time, but it's a third-person roguelike. Uh, 
obviously has the, the, the things you expect, you know, collecting items, getting real crazy powerful. I've only played a few hours of it, but one thing I really like about it is that it, the gameplay and the movement is super tight, mm. fast. Like, I'm playing with mouse and keyboard, obviously, so the aiming is really great. You got a bunch of classes to choose from. You unlock uh, a couple. I think you only start with one. It's like a guy with two pistols. They got their own moves, like a side dash and like a charge shot. Uh, there's a hunter, you know, bow and arrow stuff. Ian vibes, moving around all quick, jumping, flying in the air. Nice. I unlocked this melee guy recently. I was playing with right before we started filming. He uh, he has like this charge up, like almost Falcon Punch, and he like goes forward. He has like a grappling arm. You can grapple on stuff and swing around. It's a game, though, that I feel like I've played a couple hours, but I feel like I barely know anything about this game still. Yeah. Just because I feel like such an important part of roguelikes is understanding each item you get and knowing what they do. And so I'm still kind of learning all that. And there's all these weird secrets. I, I don't understand what's happening still a lot of times. Like weird portals taking me to unexpected places where I'm like, what the hell's happening kind of thing. I'm fighting crazy aliens and I'm just dying. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I'm dying. But I'm having a great time doing it. Nice. Um, I brought I brought Risk of Rain to Frame Trap a very 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 long time ago. Um, oh, the first one. Cool. No, no, no. Sorry, Risk of Rain two. I brought. Oh to, yeah. To Frame Trap a very very long time ago, and um, I'm really struggling to remember exactly how I felt about it. I wasn't. I think I wasn't as hot on it as I wanted to be, um, because just my my experience with it, the difficulty like wasn't quite right the progression mm. felt like too much too fast or something and there was there's just something i think about the visual style and and the way difficulty progressed that wasn't clicking with me but i really like the idea of the game and i think brad exactly what you're expressing is um there's so much depth and i think probably yeah. with a, a better understanding comes more enjoyment right and i don't think mm -hmm. i have that understanding of yeah. the game yet and i'm sure it's changed since yeah, I played so, it. yeah. If you played it a long time, I'm sure there's been a ton of updates. I feel like the difficulty is really good, actually, Ben. Mm. So when you start, you can start with like easy, normal, hard, or whatever. But throughout the game, like the entire time the game is going, the difficulty is increasing the entire time. Yeah. And there's actually quite a bit of levels, like easy, normal, hard. Then like I see you. Then like I think the final one is just ha 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 ha. Like I felt this great sense of urgency like i need to keep moving forward but i want to try and get loot because this difficulty is going up so it keeps me it had this nice flow of uh constantly fearing danger but you need to keep going to progress to the level but you want to get items so you run into this block of i need like i said you need some need some items but you want to get through this low before you get killed yeah so yeah i think if you were curious about before, honestly, I think it's one of the best roguelikes I've played mm, nice. in a long time. I haven't played some, I haven't played like a lot of uh, the more recent ones, but I think it's really solid for what's there. Yeah. Yeah. I think your enthusiasm for it is definitely putting it back on my radar and it's like, oh, I should definitely give that another try because I, I think, <sighs> I definitely think <clears throat> it's something where giving it another look, I could be like, oh, I missed this, this, and this. And oh, it's actually really good. Um, but speaking of That's, recent roguelikes, yeah. there's been a lot of them, and yeah. uh, I was dabbling a little bit with Hades, and that seems phenomenal. Dude, I've been waiting. Yeah, yeah, um, and I need to play more of that. But I think I had that sensation you had though too, Ben. 
if I did like a run or when I first started, I was like, uh, I don't know about this kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever. I don't know what's happening, but the more I died, the more I experimented, the more fun I started having. So I think sure. the more time you put in, once things start clicking, you'll get more enjoyment out of it. Yeah. And I imagine like play you're I imagine you're playing with Kristen and you're probably both yeah. learning together. Yeah, playing and... together is really fun, mm-hmm. but you can play solo too if you want. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a good time, man. Uh, Ian, speaking of roguelikes, man, not not necessarily about Risk of Rain two, but uh, I know I know you sometimes fall hard into roguelikes, sometimes not. Like I don't know if there's anything recently you've played or or your feelings on the genre in general. I uh, I like them. I'm usually really bad at them. They're hard, like yeah. Dead Dead Cells, and uh, I was recently replaying. Or not even replaying, because that implies I ever beat it. But, like, playing again Rogue Legacy 1 after they announced Rogue Legacy 2. on I was playing on Switch. Yeah. And uh, that game is fantastic. Looking forward to 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny that you talked about difficulty, because I played through Rogue Legacy 1 on Vita. And I loved it, and I was obsessed with it, uh, as I've mentioned before. And I, with Rogue Legacy 2 incoming, I was like, oh, I'm going to boot that up. And I booted it up on PC, and it was a fresh file. And I just got obliterated. Like, this yeah. is a game that I have <laughs> gone all the way through. I was like, oh, yeah, this game is really, mm-hmm. really hard. Um, obviously, it gets easier as you unlock Progress, things. Progress, yeah. So yeah. I, I always kind of... The way I look at roguelikes is usually just like... I, I don't expect ever to beat them. I'm just like, oh, here's a thing that I'll, you know, mm. like like Slay the Spire. I've got friends who've beaten it, you know, and I'm just like, how? I don't even know that you could. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think with roguelikes, what I've learned over time is you just kind of got to be okay with dying. You have to put in, put in the time. Like, of course, you can get luck and get some items and just like cruise through some stuff. But I feel like, if you put in the time, at least in my experience, I definitely enjoy them more as I keep playing. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, do you enjoy the core gameplay enough to keep going? That was the question. Yeah. I, I think the way that I approach a lot of roguelikes is different from the the way I imagine other people do it, where <clears throat> what I like about it is it's roguelikes can sort of feel like hardcore casual in a way where I'll just get in a mood and I'll be like, oh, I want to do a Spelunky run. I'll just go yeah. and do it. And, you know, sometimes it will end hilariously quick or I'll get further than I expected. And there's some tension there. But when the run is over, I don't necessarily have to, like, keep doing a hundred more runs. Oh, or for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that is something that I really like about the genre is for as difficult and demanding as it is. It's like oftentimes like short term demands from you and you, you yeah. can sort of pick up and play. Uh, relatively easily, which I, I, I enjoy a lot. Um, I'm super excited for Spelunky 2. Yeah. Something that I really yeah, like man. about roguelikes is oftentimes they kind of like forego the really long intros that a lot of games have. Like, I, yeah. I hate playing games. And it's like, okay, the game is starting three hours, you know, after the opening credits. I don't I don't like that as much. But Sure, yeah. yeah. Get right in the action, dude. Um, but with Risk of Rain 2, Brad, uh, is it something that, I guess, do you, what are your, like, immediate goals with it? Do you just want to play it, have so, fun whenever you feel like it, or do you want to learn more? Or? Um, well, because we have, we're in a very, like, unique 
position i feel like where like there's stuff i have to play for work Mm -hmm. so maybe like you were saying earlier it's kind of something like hey maybe i got an hour or so i can kill go for a run or something like that because there's still stuff to unlock like there's a ton of characters i don't have and they play all really differently like i was saying there's weird secrets i don't know what the hell any of this means so i'm like curious to discover that right but it's i don't think it's something like i'm gonna set out like my whole day like okay i'm gonna grind this game out Sure. Do you, do you feel like um, these questions that you have, these mysteries that you're uncovering, do you feel like uh, you kind of naturally just learn through the trial and error of playing or exploring? Kind or of, do, yeah. you, do you feel like you need to look some stuff up? Well, like, for the example of just, like, the items, stuff like that, a lot of it is just, if I know what the item is, I could speed things up along quickly, you know, because you got to buy some items well, guys are shooting you. If I just know what everything is off the top of my head, I can just get through stuff real quick. Yeah. But in terms of like the portal stuff, like they, it's kind of cryptic, but they kind of let you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like they tell you what you should do in this area, but I don't know where this area is or why this kind of thing is happening. Yeah. But I do like that element of discovery. Like, of course, it's not something like uh, the Outer Wilds, something like that, where it's like crazy discovery, but just like a cool little secret of something unexpected happening is enough to kind of keep me going yeah definitely um when you were talking brad about stuff you have to play i feel like that happens to me all the time where um you know i have a, I have a, I have a very wide interest in games and sure. a lot of times I'll, I'll just like the curiosity my curiosity will get the better of me and i'll check something out and sometimes i'm able to you know, completely consume that entire thing. But other times it's yeah. like, oh, I got to put this on the side so I can yeah. finish this other thing that I was assigned to do. Um, and that definitely happens. But yeah. I just, I just looked at trailers for risk of rain. Cause I remember risk of rain one and it was like pixel art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Risk of rain two. I forgot is like 3d. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. a glow up. So mm-hmm. weird. Uh, but Brad, you've definitely made me, re-interested in risk of rain too that's that's something like yeah if you're if you're giving another shot i might hop in yeah, there and... something to hop in yeah we could play co-op yeah. man yeah, yeah, yeah. it's real nice just with your buds man just go for a quick run mm-hmm. yeah and i'm curious i i don't know but i'm curious to see like how much they've added and changed over time sure yeah i'm sure it's probably pretty substantial mm-hmm. uh but ian You've been watching a show. A lot of uh, Frame oh. Trap lately has been very video game dominated, which of course makes sense. But I'm glad you're bringing a show, Perry Mason, into the fold. Perry Mason, dude. Yeah, my roommate had told me about it, and then a friend of mine was like, "Are you watching Perry Mason?" Because the season finale was a couple of days ago, or last week, I guess. And uh, so I started it up. I've watched the first five episodes. Uh, it is very good. Incredibly dark. But the characters are very well realized. The period um, is very well done. Just everything about it is really nice. It's got it's just a nice show with good production quality, and it is so intense sometimes. Uh, so I guess kind of give me like a, a top level synopsis of of what's going on and what the the main conflict is and that sort of stuff yeah so uh it begins with this husband and wife who apparently are on the phone with some kidnappers 
uh, they're trying to get their baby back. They leave the money in the room. They see the baby. They, like, show the baby on the Angel's Flight little tram thing downtown L.A. And uh, and so they see the baby. They run outside, leave the money where they're told to, and go and get the baby. The, the kidnappers take off out of there, and uh, they get to the baby, but it's dead. Mm-hmm. This is, like, first, right off the bat. Uh, and it's very gruesome looking kind of, uh, and anyway, then Perry Mason is a private detective, uh, kind of a drunk, uh, and he ends up on the case looking into it and then things just go from there and get more and more involved and strange. Um, and I haven't finished the series yet or the season yet, but yeah, so far first five episodes have been phenomenal. So I when you when you mentioned like oh hey this is something that I've been watching I was like I don't know what that is and I googled it really quickly and was there is this like a a, a reimagining or something of an older show because I saw yeah. an older it's, show that was named yeah my parents watched the old Perry show. Mason yeah okay Perry Mason's like the quintessential like old person show uh, <laughs> but like this one is nothing like that mm-hmm. to my knowledge um, I believe in that one he's a lawyer. Um, and this yeah. is like the origins. It's like Perry Mason origins. Batman begins. Perry Mason begins. Style. Kawami or whatever. Um, yeah. So it's it's yeah different. They, dark. they edged it up for twenty. They edged it way up. <laughs> See, that's always a, a weird prospect to me. Not that you can't do it and make it great, but when you say like quintessential old person show. And then you're talking about this I mean, new one, know. and it's so dark. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like yeah. that can be a that can be like an awkward tone shift if you have familiarity with the original. But I've I don't. seen some of the original, and it's like from the '50s, dude. Right? It's like old as hell. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh man, I recommend that to my parents, but like maybe right. not now. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess yeah. just when you say like 1950s, I think of just like kind of overtly wholesome, corny. Black and white, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Vibe, yeah. This one, this one takes place a few years after the crash, uh, so it's like late thirties, I think. Okay. Um, nineteen thirties, um, and yeah, it's 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 pretty wild stuff. It's cool though. Uh, the the clothes and and sets and everything are very very good, mm. and yeah, the characters are just good, uh, and complicated. And the story doesn't do what you expect, which I always like. Um, yeah, I don't know. I recommend it. I'm, nice. I'm excited for Lovecraft Country, which comes out this weekend. Is uh, that so? Perry Mason is HBO, right? Correct. And Lovecraft Lovecraft Country is also HBO. Mm-hmm. So Perry Mason season wrapped up last Sunday. Lovecraft Country starts this Sunday. Uh, they're just trying to keep those hits coming. I also finished. Yeah umbrella academy and i'm still trying to get through dark but perry mason's good stacked up um (laughs) with hbo shows i i there there are so many hbo shows that i've watched that i've loved but then sometimes like hbo can just have like a such a similar vibe amongst its shows you know very dark very gritty very serious um and sometimes that can manifest itself in like hilariously bad ways like true detective season two feels like a like a bad parody of like a typical hbo show to me true detective season two is an affront to humanity it's like the it's the single worst thing 
maybe ever as yeah. far as tv shows go wait like, is it worse than game of thrones season eight uh it's different i guess it's it's worse and it's bad in different ways yeah like game of thrones season eight was so bad that it made it made me like hate the entirety of game of thrones whereas true detective season two seasons one and three can still be decent Mm -hmm. because they're standalone so yeah i guess the stakes were a lot lower game of thrones is like funny bad uh true dicks season two is like makes me hate humanity bad oh Mm. shit uh ben have you seen boardwalk empire i have not no dude Um, I you know gotta that, watch that. Yeah, I know that's like Huber's favorite show. Dude, holy shit. That show is Huber's so got good. like eight favorite shows. True. Yeah. I can recommend it though, dude. I've seen it all. <laughs> nice. Um, I've I've actually last night I was um watching The Boys, and I'm I'm oh, yeah, five episodes into The Boys, and I really like it a lot. Cool. It is a deeply cynical show. Uh yeah. but its cynicism works because the things that they are choosing to be cynical about feel so believable. Uh, this sort of corporatization of superheroes. Um, and so I think it, I think it makes it easy to buy into. And I think that's the important thing about, um, you know, being dark or edgy or, or cynical is, is there has to be some sort of like groundedness to it. Otherwise mm-hmm. it comes across uh, in, in kind of an eye rolling way. And I guess to wrap this back around to Perry Mason uh, you you mentioned it being dark. Uh, how does it sell that? I guess in an authentic way. Uh, everything has a reason. So far, like the first thing you see is that first dark thing you see is that baby, and its eyes are sewn open. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> because they wanted the parents to believe that the baby was alive at a distance. Sure. So they like showed them the kid. You know. And so you see that it's fine because its eyes are open, like everything's fine. And then you see it close up and you're just like, good God, this is horrifying. Um, So things like that. I mean, like that's the most gruesome thing that happens so Mm -hmm. far, probably. But like uh, there's a there's logic behind it and and nothing in nothing in it feels like it's just trying to be sensational or like edgy for the sake of it it's it's just like a grown-up show with grown-ups dealing with really grown-up situations sure so and like what i really like about it is the scene there's a scene where the main guy perry mason sees the kid uh and like perry mason is like a drunk he's kind of mean he's like you know but he's but the look on his face he's like horrified and disgusted and uh, there's a lot of humanity in it. And you realize, like, oh, this, this is a good dude. He's just, you know, unhappy. <laughs> yeah. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Ian, I know you, you watch a lot of shows. You watch a lot more shows than I do. Um, but, and Brad, also throwing this question at you. I, I feel like I am, like, weirdly picky when it comes to TV shows and movies. I don't know if that's just because... Due to the nature of my job, you know, I, I kind of just naturally play a ton of video games constantly. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when I actually make space for a TV show or a movie, I want to make sure I'm going to love it, right? Like it, it can't just be like kind of okay. I really, if possible, want to be, you know, in love with it uh, just because I don't, I don't make as much time for it as I do uh, games. And so how do you guys sort of like land on 
the TV shows and movies that you want to commit time to? Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't really watch anything. Sure. <laughs> when I think about it, I'm like, shit, man. I only really watch a movie if Kristen really wants to watch it or if it's like a rare occasion where I'm into it. Okay. But like, I can't remember the last time I've been like, dude, hell yeah, TV show or something. Yeah. It is. It's pretty few and far between for me, I feel like. Like, there's a few a year, maybe. Like, but. I watched Westworld when it aired and I watched like season one i bailed like four episodes in and i was like all right i'm done with this show well i don't know uh westworld <laughs> i feel like i don't know you just probably like made of, the right call a lot of shows just don't hold my interest i guess i don't know maybe i am too picky about it too i'm not sure yeah i can be I mean, very picky of, about it welcome to my world with, like everything you, you'll find that most things just aren't that good yeah <laughs> yeah but when it comes to shows i think uh, HBO's got some good ones and like you can find the rare good one on Amazon or Netflix or whatever. The way I do it is if if the trailer looks interesting, like if the trailer looks really good, that's sometimes all it takes. Other times, you know, uh, my friends recommend things to me like it, it's got to get vetted through sure. yeah. a few trusted sources. And like if, if two of my friends who have good taste are like, hey, you should check this out. Then I'm like, all right, I'll watch it later today, you know. That's an effective like, system. Yeah. Same, kind of same thing I do with video games, honestly. Like, most of the times you guys get to stuff before I do, and then I just go, like, well, I like this, and you guys go, no, and I'm like, okay, cool. Oh, man. <laughs> True. That does happen a lot. Yeah, it hasn't, it has I can't think of it happening recently, but I do remember times in where, like, you and I would be, like, in a room in the studio, and I'd be talking enthusiastically about, like, a game that I was playing. And you would say something like, do you think I'd like it? And I'd just be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like yeah. those conversations are very funny. Yeah. I, I had it with uh, Ghost of Tsushima where I was like, yeah, I don't think you'd really like it. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching Omar play it a little bit and it looks pretty cool. Maybe I'll pick mm-hmm. it up when it's cheaper or when I have a PlayStation that works. Yeah. 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 Your yeah. PlayStation's been <laughs> yeah, out of commission for a while. <laughs> it's a bummer. My PS4, like it, it, it runs, you know? But it's it's finicky to download stuff. The disk drive beeps constantly, even though I've taken out like the foot below the button and done all the stuff you're supposed to do to make that stuff happening. The controllers now will just suddenly disconnect, but their batteries are fine, and then they won't resync. Like it's like the PlayStation just suddenly ignores all controllers. Like I hmm. try a different one and it won't turn on. Uh, so I have to power the power the system down and unplug it. I have to power cycle it, turn it all back on before it'll recognize controllers again. Uh, and that'll happen like kind of just suddenly. So like when I was going through Last of Us Part 2, it happened like three or four times where all of a sudden the controller just disconnected. But since the it wasn't like a battery dead thing, the PlayStation didn't even realize. So I would just have to like hope there was a checkpoint recently and t- hard boot my PlayStation. <laughs> it sucked. Yeah, fuck that, dude. So yeah. I don't. I'm not. I'm not overly motivated to put in a lot of uh, energy into a game that I might like lose progress in suddenly. Yeah, that makes sense. Just holding out for the PS5, man. Just yeah. waiting for that PS5. A couple more months. I, I'm sure this is an effect of quarantine and just this year being really bizarre. But I feel like, in a way, I'm just kind of limping toward the new consoles and what i mean by that is like this cattail i'm just really excited for them to get here like and i'm feeling impatient you know like 
wins the date, wins the price. Yeah, um, man. I'm just ready, I think. But then when they do get here, <laughs> then we'll have to be like, okay, when are their games? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once after we've beaten Miles Morales day one, you know, I like, feel like where, me where and Ben are especially are just kind of like so into the idea of having a new console, though. Oh, right. for sure. We just fucking buy it anyways. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, like, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I'm TV shopping, you know, I'm TV shopping. I, I don't oh, have a 4K go, TV, so I'm just like, got to gotta make the jump, you it, know? Yeah. It uh, it makes a huge difference, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Looking forward to it. As I'm sure you know. Um, speaking of good-looking things, with heavy caveats, uh, I've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn on PC. Yeah. And I have to say, review copy provided by PlayStation. Of course. <laughs> Um, even so, on the PC, they got you. Even on yeah. PC, they got you. Uh, yeah, Blood was like, don't forget to say that. And I was like, okay, we got it. Review copy provided by PlayStation. Horizon Zero Dawn. Look, you said it twice. So, um, Horizon Zero Dawn on PC has had a lot of problems. And thankfully, I have not had the problems that some people have. Uh, I know it just hasn't been running well for people, and there have been reports of crashes. I read a Steam review where somebody was like, I was fine, and then 20 hours in, it started crashing. I am not 20 mm-hmm. hours in, and I haven't experienced crashing. Um, but there has been some weirdness. Like, I, I can't remember if this was in the original PS4 version, but when cutscenes, like when a, when a scene transitions to like another shot during a cutscene or a conversation, there's like this weird, it's almost like a, like a, like a, a stutter or like a kind of like a leftover frame effect where it just has this like split second of like stutter or something. It's kind of hard to describe, but it's Mm. like the transitions don't feel completely smooth. Um, And I was playing it and it was 60 for, it was playing it last night and it was 60 frames. And then I go into a bandit camp and then all of a sudden it it plummets to 46 and I'm like, wait, what happened? It had been pretty smooth. Um, before that so uh i am not as technically proficient uh as other places would be when it comes to recognizing problems but it seems the general consensus has uh not been super positive on this needs patches yeah so i I can't like endorse like hey go run out and get this or anything like that but at the same time i've really enjoyed going through horizon again um and it was a game that I was really skeptical of at first. And uh, there are some things I think that are even more noticeable to me than when I originally played it, where like I really love combat against the um, mechanical beasts because every beast kind of has a unique aspect to it. Like even something as simple as the little watchers are extremely fun to fight because of how distinct they are. Like they can, they have this huge bright flash that'll blind you. Or when they attack you, they literally leap in the air. Uh, Or like to take them down, you know, you have to aim carefully and shoot their their eye. Um, And that's just like the most basic enemy. And then as you get more advanced, all of these unique beasts have these uh, kind of unique traits to them that I think makes the world feel varied and fun to get into these encounters and i think the emphasis on traps is really really good mm-hmm. um it's super satisfying like lobbing an electrical bomb and freezing something in place or creating a tripwire and trying to lead it over um and i think that 
kind of combat, like the the mecha- the differences in the mechanical beasts, uh, as well as sort of the the options that you have, do make it feel different um, than other open world combat. Except for the humans. When you fight humans, yeah, that all kind of goes out the window. And yeah, those are by far the worst part. Yeah. Um, I, narratively, obviously, they, they have a huge importance in, in the story, the humans that you're fighting against. But um, you're just kind of, you just like headshot them and, you know, sneak around and insta-kill them with a stealth oh, kill. It's like, because you're fighting these really cool, unique like animal mechanical beasts you like don't really fight in anything like else yeah and with like these st- specific strategies to take them down you got this variety or varied toolkit you could use against them but when you're just like fighting a human i guess there's only so much you can do right i want that does make me think ben about the sequel if they'll do more crazy stuff with humans yeah like having them be in some like mech suit or some shit Right. It it is it's just a little weird to have that disparity between the the giant yeah, beast that you're totally. fighting because it it just kind of makes the humans feel like filler in a way. Um but yeah. uh I I also really like just the general setup and world building of Horizon uh in a lot of ways where I I think having this world where you sort of have primitive humans trying to take down and interpret what these machines are is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And um, it's awesome, like, going into ruins and uh, using your focus to almost, like, you pick up audio logs and try to piece together a story of, of, oh, this is what life was like beforehand and this is how people were living. I think that's just kind of inherently interesting, and, and Horizon does a lot with it in good ways. The writing and performances are not always there. They're definitely... Like, I think the performance of Aloy is very good, but there are definitely some lines that I'm like, that is just super cheesy. Or <laughs> some of the the performances from kind of like lesser NPCs yeah. feels like way rough. Like, it, it's, it, it, it gives it kind of like a B-movie vibe sometimes that isn't always there. I don't know if that's the best way of describing it, but just in general, like some of the performances are stand out in a, in a bad way for sure. Yeah. But, uh, it's crazy. to me to think that they were making kill zone games, like a lot of kill zone games before that quite a, quite a distinct jump, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. I wonder if a lot of that stuff will just kind of be tightened in the sequel too, mm-hmm. since it's like their first dive into that kind of game. It's uh, what was it? Three years old now. I think it was. Mm. It's got to be older than that because I think I think it was twenty seventeen. Or wait, was Breath we were of the Wild in a hotel. 2017? We were in a hotel when you were playing it, so that I feel like that was still GT. I, uh, it came. It out, came out. It was right around Breath of the Wild time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was February twenty eighth, twenty seventeen. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah. that's actually a point that I want to bring up because. Uh, I remember at the time of its release, the Horizon Zero Dawn and Breath of the Wild were kind of happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of comparison between the two open worlds, which is fine. But it's been nice kind of, you know, three years <coughs> later to just kind of approach Horizon on its own terms. And just like, I, I always love that feeling when it's like, mm-hmm. all right this is how I felt about it then. How do I feel about it now? And just kind of comparing and trusting. And it's always nice. Totally. Um, being like, I think I have a greater appreciation for this game uh, than I did 
originally, and it makes me very excited for the sequel. Um, oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm super pumped to see what they can do now. Um, Brad, I know you played Horizon. Did you did you end up falling for kind of the world and the characters? In the uh, <laughs> at the time, I remember the story was kind of boring to me. Sure. It didn't really click with me. I think I had the unfair. I it was a little unfair though because I played it right after Breath of the Wild. Yeah, where I was just in this game that kind of like redefined open world games. Then going to Horizon, just like even little things about like climbing, I was just like, man, I wish I could just fucking climb this thing, but I couldn't. Right. But I do really. I at the end of the the day when I finished the event, I thought it was a really great game. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. I think the combat is where it kind of stood out for me and like its enemy design, especially like the robots. That's what really helped sell it. Yeah. Story didn't do much for me at the time. I wonder, like you were saying earlier, if I went back and checked it out, how I'd feel differently. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I did. I really think it was a great game. Um, it's interesting because even little things, uh, I'm kind of appreciating more where, um, like the way that it, it handles health, I think is pretty cool where, you can pick up plants in the environment and that will fill up this sort of like medicinal pouch that you have. And it's a green bar. And mm-hmm. then you can hit up on the D pad and it will fill up your life and the bar will go down. And so sometimes you'll be in the middle of a battle and it's like, Oh, I need to heal. I have to kind of go and grab these plants. And so it's, it's not like, you know, you just, you do have health potions, but I still like the idea of in the middle of a fight that kind of like frantic, like, oh, I need to go yeah, grab something. something. Yeah. Um, and it makes even just like traveling the most basic part of the world kind of interesting where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I, there's wildlife I can kill to get resources. There's plants I can get to fill up my medicinal pouch. There's branches I can get for arrow crafting and that sort of thing. And so I, I just sort of like that interaction with the world uh, quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like I love like the armor sets in that game. Give you the different stats, just little touches like that. Yeah, I think are really great. Uh, there's the DLC. I never played it though. Mm-hmm. I have it. I just haven't played it. But I always was curious about that. Have you played that? Yeah, I have played it. Um, I don't think I saw the very end of Frozen Wilds or something okay. like that. I played I played a good chunk of it. Um, I don't think I finished it, but I remember enjoying the DLC. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping they get some PS5 upgrade or something. Yeah. Playing on on PC would be awesome, but like, I just don't know what I would do it and if I need to spend the money on it yet. Yeah. Well, it definitely seems like maybe wait until things are smoothed over. Yeah. Um, I've been, I've been fortunate at having relatively few problems on the PC so far. Yeah, that's good. I, yeah, wait I, for some patches. I hope I have time. I probably won't, but I hope I have time to go through it and play Frozen Wilds, see all of Frozen Wilds because yeah, it's... It's definitely a game I like a lot. There's just little things that I'm thinking of, even in the middle of this conversation, where I'm like, yeah, wow, what a cool feeling. Um, like mm-hmm. the tall necks, I think such a good oh, idea. Like the towers, right? Yeah, because it like a lot of games have uh things that you climb and you get, you know, a, a broader look at the world, but the way that they handle it in Horizon is you have these huge draft-like creatures that have these giant discs on top of their head. And they're constantly moving. And so you need to kind of climb up to a high ledge, literally leap on their neck and then clamber up them uh, to, to sort of activate the point, you know? And uh, it's, it is essentially just a twist on something that's been done plenty of times before, but it's a cool twist, right? It's it's a way a little, a little 
change or something like that can really help something like feel more refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's funny that you compare it to, to Breath of the Wild because I do think that comparison is apt where Breath of the Wild a lot of times felt like it was kind of rethinking open worlds mm-hmm. uh, from the ground up, whereas I think Horizon feels like it was using a template that came before, but finding ways to twist it and contextualize it within its own world yeah. a little bit better, yeah, yeah. which I, I think is neat. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. Um, you know what, Ian, you, you were unfortunately left out of that conversation a little bit. That's okay. I remember that the grass looks really good. Yeah. I remember that GDC conversation where, uh, we were, is that where we were? Yeah. We were GDC. Okay. Yeah. That feels like a lifetime ago. I thought it was at game trailers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, where we were, we were at GDC in a hotel and I had brought my PS4 with me and I was playing horizon in the hotel and you were like, the grass looks really, this looks nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, This looks nice. Um, but Ian, I think, I think because you were left out of that conversation, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the best take today, Oh uh, which will be about, holidays so what i want you to do is i want you to take the general concept of holidays and give me and give me a a a strong opinion can be positive can be negative but just try to make it as convincing as you can well i've got one ben i think that here in america you know we've got there's obviously thanksgiving and christmas and new year's eve and 4th of July, you know, they're kind of like the big boys. Yeah. I think Halloween deserves to be one of the big boys. I think that you should get the day off of work. Preach it, Ian. I think it should be a real capital R holiday, capital H. And I think that uh, the rest of the world deserves Halloween, too. Countries that don't have it should have it. Dude, you it's know what? it's just great. Make it two days off. Ma- you, you know what? You got trick-or-treat yeah. at night, man. Yeah. You got to sleep in after that. Yeah. Give or, those kids or, a break. Just, or change it so that it always happens like the last Friday of October. Every so Friday. It's always, you get Friday off and Saturday, Sunday are all for festivities, parties and costumes and candy and stuff. Yeah. I just think it's a lovely holiday. And I know like uh, Day of the Dead in, in Mexico is like a bigger deal. I don't fully know the, the history of that, but here in America, Halloween gets gets short short end of the stick and i think it's i think it's a travesty and seriously this might be my favorite opinion that i've had on a best take yet because i i really like horror and i i love yeah. just spooky scary stuff i think it's so much fun uh right spooky, and i think it's scary yeah i think i think that's a sentiment that many of the allies share but mm-hmm. um i guess to dig into this a little bit more you know when i think about like thanksgiving or christmas there's like not that there aren't differences or that you can't do different things but i find like a lot of people do very similar stuff whereas Mm -hmm. like especially as an adult in halloween there aren't really like any rules like you can watch scary movies or like play scary games or you could go to a haunted thing like you know a haunted amusement park or something or whatever it is but it's it's pretty loose in comparison to some other capital h holidays as you were talking about so if if you had the power and you made this a capital h holiday would you try to like encourage 
people do specific things? Well, geez, I mean, on the one extent, on the one hand, I think that part of the beauty of Halloween is that you can kind of just go your own way, do your own thing. Everybody, everybody I know has their own little traditions, you know, like mm -hmm. a lot of people watch like a horror movie every day or, or something in October, you know, or go through all the Friday the 13th movies or something. Um, a lot of people, you know, have an annual Halloween party. There's one I go to, you know, and uh, and West West Hollywood has the parade. That's like a huge, big bonanza. The streets closed off and just like thousands of people would go. This is in, of course, the before times. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, so I don't know. I've never wanted to enforce my will on 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 anybody's way of doing their life you know so i think i think part of the joy of it is just you know if, if there's anything that we shouldn't have to do on halloween it's go to work yeah everyone should have that day off um but yeah i mean people's different ways of celebrating is what makes stuff fun so i don't know i want to i want to learn more about what other people do yeah this is uh Sadly, not not strictly relevant to the conversation, but you said the before times, and it <clears throat> just popped a question into my head. Has it become like harder to consume like post-apocalyptic stuff or stuff about like you know disease or whatever in viruses? In way, yeah. yeah, in the wake of all of this, has that been weird to you at all? It uh, definitely, yeah. It's not something I'm seeking out. <laughs> yeah, and also not like political stuff. <laughs> like sure. I don't want to. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I've been wanting oh. to rewatch Fury Road, though. Yeah. yeah, I've been thinking about Fury Road as well. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's real good. Uh, I have one mandatory thing for Halloween. Give it to me. You know what, man? Think of the kids, man. Just put some candy out. Even yeah. if you don't want kids knocking on your door, dude, if you're outdoor, put some, put some candy out, dude. Come on, man. Be a good guy. Think about the times when you were a kid trick-or-treating, how awesome it was. It's been, My kids have that feeling too. It's been really sad because I, I don't like when I grew up, right? I was in a neighborhood. And so like <laughs> kids coming to the door and all that stuff. And like the whole neighborhood being out that night was a big part of it. And I always super enjoyed that. I don't know if it's just different in an apartment complex on the third floor, but we've definitely <laughs> purchased it's different. Yeah. We've definitely purchased candy and not had anyone come. Yeah. Uh, which is, People Super like, sad. I think people just go to like neighborhoods more. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think I so. Growing I, up, like, I, yeah, I know people that have like lived in like apartments stuff like that, and they bring their kids to like a neighborhood with everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Growing up, I I grew up in a small town, you know, in in, in Wisconsin, and like only two thousand people or whatever, and we had a big house at the end of the street, so we would always have the candy bowl and stuff, and and my friends and I would often be hanging out at my house on Halloween. And we would always do crazy stuff. Like we'd have like the garage door partially open playing like old Hitchcock music and we'd have it so the door would open itself and then someone would be sitting in a chair with the bowl of candy not moving, yeah. you know? <laughs> Some kids were like too afraid to come in and then we had to be like, just drop the act and be like, we're, you're all right, here you go. <laughs> like we're yeah. just playing around. Yeah, Dude, we fun. have a coffin in like in our front yard and I'd hide in it sometimes. Oh, dude, <laughs> that that's I, like, hardcore. Scared kids too much. I was like, all right, dude. I'll, I'll cool it. <laughs> I haven't been to a haunted house in a while and that sounds dude, super, super fun. Dude, we have to go, especially with Huber. Yeah. 
It is so fun with you. Yeah, I can. Yeah, he, yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, what is it called? Delusion. A girlfriend at the time was in this this thing called I think Delusion, which is like an interactive theater horror haunted house play kind of thing. So there's like act. You know, they're actors and stuff. But uh, yeah, I told Huber, I'm like, don't volunteer me, and he like volunteered me immediately. <laughs> and you have to like sign a waiver saying they can like touch you and stuff. Like it's funny. It, things got gnarly, man. The that the the thing he so this lady came out like this like sexy lady came out of this room, and uh, <laughs> and and she was like, hey hey boys, like I need someone to give me a hand or whatever. And then Huber was just like, he'll do it. <laughs> and then so she bought, she brought awesome. myself, Huber, and one other guy in there. And then we watched her go into this room with like a tub in it. And she like dropped her comb and bent down. And then when she came back up, she was like a old, super old lady. Whoa. Um, it was cool. And then it, it got pretty gnarly from there. Oh. Uh, Huber, was, Huber had to go in there and like wash her back. It Ooh. was like, bizarre. <laughs> It was really, really weird. I wish this was on camera. <laughs> it ended up, we ended up with a slimy key. That's all I'll say. Dude, that's like some freako shit. It's, what the it hell? It was pretty nar-nar. We gotta, we gotta get like all the allies to a haunted house at the same Make time. Make blood do it? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> blood, the whole time we would just be like, we just, uh. We would just make blood do everything, I think. Oh my God. He would yeah, that might be time. true. That might be true. Like blood will do it. Uh, oh my God. We got a little sidetracked there, but do you have... Wait, 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 wait. I have another... <laughs> what if... Because you know how people always... Like, because Blood, you know, he's a really tall, thin guy. Mm-hmm. And people always, like... They call him various things, like the Crypt Keeper and stuff. We should... I just had an idea of, like, if if the... If the Haunted House had, like... Like, a carnival theme or something, and Blood got, like, separated from the party, but then ended up, like, working there... Because they, like, thought he was, like, part of the show or something. Maybe that's too mean to Bloodworth. What are you saying, man? He's saying he looks like a, a, a I'm just a saying he's a, a tall, skinny dude. <laughs> well, what I like... Yeah, he'll tell you the same. I'm not I trying like, to be mean to Bloodworth. Is whenever, like, we do skits, you know, because he's, like... When, when like you or Brandon or somebody does a skit, it's like you you often kind of like express over interest in like theatrical stuff. Uh, but Blood like always surprises me when he does that stuff. Me like, too, whether, dude. whether it's like just skits for anything really or opinion yell. Like he's often like very committed to it in a, in a way yeah. that I always appreciate for sure. Yeah. Like I had him play like a skeletal death figure in the Bloodborne musical years and ago. And he sang a know? song. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's saying a song. And like, I've known Blood for down. years, and that still weirds me out that yeah. he would do that. Like, that's so unexpected to me. No, yeah. dude, Blood plays ball, man. He's, he's, he he's does got play a ball. sense of humor. Yeah. I like it. Uh, all right, Ian, can you give me just, we got very sidetracked there, but can you give me one more opinion about holidays? We Another have to one? Have, yeah, we have to have a combo. Uh, uh, New Year's Eve is almost always a disappointment. Mm. Mm, uh, interesting. Why is that? My girlfriend's birthday is on New Year's Eve too, and I mean, like, yeah. so it's it's complicated for her. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like plans never seem to manifest. Things don't ever like come together the way you want. Uh, I don't know. That's been my experience. Uh, sometimes it's been fun, but like, 
oftentimes you like you're at like some ex-girlfriend's house or something and it's like weird i don't know there's always just something off about new year's eve there's not i mean the theme is is like a new year and new beginnings and stuff but i don't i think that's just not as interesting as like halloween right where there's like more license to go off the wall and be fun and crazy and it like so i kind of agree with that new year's eve doesn't have like you know like halloween thanksgiving christmas have like vibes yeah you know there's like a vibe new year's eve is just kind of like yeah let's have some pain i guess and yeah it's just a party dude around it's just a party it's just a party Mm -hmm. and parties are stupid (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah speaking of all that i'm good speaking of um awkward birthdays my dad's birthday is on christmas oh wow i didn't know that yeah and Hmm. it like you know it seems like it sucks because like you'd like people just sort of like happen to remember like oh hey you know happy holidays and oh yeah happy birthday <laughs> right mm-hmm. like right. It, it, it's always like that's the what's second like for thing. Sophia yeah yeah so that uh, I think that kind of sucks but I think he's he's used to it as well does your family open presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day we've done both huh traditionally Christmas Day I would say oh interesting yeah we're always Christmas Day. That that's really funny to me because it's like a cultural thing. Like everyone from where I'm from is Christmas Eve because I guess it's like really? a Scandinavian thing. Yeah, like mm. everyone where I grew up is like Norwegian. So, oh yeah. okay. Abby's family always does it on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, so yeah. stockings are Christmas Day. The gifts are Christmas Eve. Yeah, that that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they do it. I guess I should say. Um, we have this this best take in excellent job. <laughs> is uh, brought to you by some wonderful shout-out to your patrons. If you would like your name shouted out on our lovely podcast, go to patreon.com slash easyallies where you can find out more. And uh, for this shout-out, what I thought I would do is I'm going to read all the names and then individually we're all going to try to give like like a, a cool action movie shout-out. Like, like <laughs> you just exploded something or you just took out a room of henchmen and then you should say shout out in kind of like the most smoldering action movie way possible. We got it. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Shit. I might have I might have something that'll help me for this, but I don't know if I'll be able to find it in time. OK, so I'm going to read through all the names. Our shout outs are L. Thanis, Greg, the Dark Knight Kettering, Caleb Togi Crawford, J.L. Burton, LLC. Jeff ZOVGM Easton and Delissy. All right. Ian. Uh huh. Give me your action movie shout out. Hang on, hang on. Do Brad first. Do All Brad right. Wait, first. do I say shout out? You say shout out. Oh, okay. But, but imagine like you like blow off the smoke of a smoking barrel or like something exploded or you just took okay. off your sunglasses to be like uh, yeah so so shout out <laughs> great <laughs> ian i got hang on i gotta wait for shout out nice dude i got explosions going behind yeah me. for listeners <laughs> shout out <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Thanks for playing ball, everybody. Yeah. Um, Brad. Yeah. You've been you've been doing some streams. It's nice because uh, 
you've been able to stream again. I feel like you've worked out a yes, lot of your, your yeah, internet stuff. Many years. <laughs> um, and you've been playing some Zelda, and recently you've been playing some Zelda Breath of the Wild, uh, which is a That's game right, baby. we all like quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. How has that been? It's been real good, man. So I'm playing Master Mode now. So which is like essentially the hard mode they added way way later, or I guess in the DLCs. Anyways, it's been real nice revisiting that game, Ben. I have even more appreciation for the open world it presents. Mm-hmm. I think design's great, but I still have qualms with areas like the Divine Beasts yeah. and the story. I still think are kind of the weakest parts of that game. Yeah. I wouldn't... Yeah, I guess, like, overall, my opinion hasn't changed over the game. It's still an excellent video game and one of my favorite Zeldas, but my overall opinion on it hasn't changed too much. Gotcha. Uh, I think about Breath of the Wild very often, and I I want to replay it. I actually haven't done that yet. I haven't committed to another playthrough. But uh, something that I kind of worry about when I think about it is... I feel like a huge joy of that game is is the discovery and and mm-hmm. stumbling upon things, uh, whether it's it's situations or locations or characters, whatever it is, or items, or shrines, and just sort of it's a game that I think benefits from that sort of first time discovery thing. Of course, yeah. Um, has because things are less surprising for you. Has that impacted the experience at all? I mean, <clears throat> to an extent, yeah, but I still get this great sense of discovery often, mm-hmm. like more often than I'd expect. And it's just because of how well the world's designed around that, like strategically placing things. So when you, find, when you go around this bend, it feels like you actually found something. If you went out of your way, you'd actually find a little secret. And there's like a ton of little things like that throughout this game, like a constant amount, even just like yeah, the Korok seeds, man. You know, you're just, like, putting some stones together or something. It just gives this nice feeling of satisfaction. I And, like, I'm playing with no, um, like, the expert HUD and, like, no shrines, like, beeping or anything like that. Oh, wow. So I'm not like, oh, I, there's a shrine over here kind of thing like that. I just kind of stumble upon things. Right. I imagine just even that change probably brings back yeah. some of that discovery for and sure. It's just, like, it's crazy to me how big that world is. Yeah. And how great, th- I think... The draw distance really helps that, helps sell that game. Mm-hmm. I've like given you this, I like this feeling of like you're going on a mountain. It it never gets old. You go on like a high perch, and you can see like Hyrule all around you, and you're like, when you see a divine beast like on the other side of the map moving around or something, you're like, good lord, the scale of this game, yeah, especially for a Wii U game, is pretty damn good. Um. Something interesting kind of that I was experiencing with Horizon Zero Dawn is that game still looks very, very good. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it was it's it's less mind blowing to me now than it was three years ago because there have mm-hmm. been things that have come out, right, that have just raised the bar even further. Um and it's just fascinating how fast uh graphical technology moves in this. Oh industry. my god, it's, yeah. It's incredible. And I was wondering, you know, especially on on you say it being a Wii U game, like visually beyond just the draw distance, right? Just the artistic decisions and and how things look technically, does that stuff still hold up? Yeah, I think Zelda games usually have really great art, mm-hmm. and it's, or a lot of Nintendo games, and that helps with the aging process. Like you could look at Wind Waker on GameCube; it'll still look great. 
And I think that's true in this. Like, obviously, it's not 4K, and so the textures look kind of rough in some areas or not as super detailed. But I think the art style carries this game a long way. Yeah. Where I'm still not like, oh, man, it looks terrible or anything like that. Like, being in HD helps a ton. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it still looks pretty good, man. Um, You know, something that was very controversial, not very controversial, but something that people didn't, some people didn't love at the time was just the constant replacing of, of mm-hmm. weapons and things breaking. Uh, has that, you know, especially now that you you've played through it already and you're going through it again, yeah. has that become annoying? I, th- it doesn't annoy me. I like it, but I'm also okay if they don't do it again. I like getting a bunch of different weapons. I really love the idea of like, Oh, I'm going to get this big sword here or this spear here. Especially because there's a bunch of different like variations of them, like fire, like ice and lightning and stuff like that. I love switching between weapons, and I get why people don't like it. I think the more you play that game, the easier or the less of a barrier that seems like. Because then you start expanding your inventory. Like I'm running this stuff all the time, where I'm I'm full. I don't got yeah. any more room for yeah. stuff like that. Like My that problem kind of goes away. Full. Yeah, yeah, that that goes away. What I do hope then is maybe if they expand on that, maybe it being able to repair every single weapon if you want. Like if you have a weapon type you really love or a specific type, you can fix it. But I think the game from its core wouldn't work in this game particularly like that because this game is so much about like fighting this random stuff using it until it wears out and breaks. But yeah, it doesn't really bother me in this. Hmm. I actually, thinking back about that, I actually think I kind of liked that because it, it made you kind of stand your feet more. And I'm the kind of person who's like, I find the Blades of Mercy and then I never change, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah, like... this forces you. Mm-hmm. Forces me to try other kinds of weapons and, and, and use different weapons for different situations, like switching to the ancient weapons for the Guardians and stuff. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was fun. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think the my favorite way games handle combat is something like the Monster Hunter method, where... Every single weapon type is enjoyable, but if you do just commit to one, you're having just as great of a time where it's like you can, you don't have to constantly change things up, but if you do, you get, you get a benefit and it's just, it just feels so accommodating in a great way. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think it makes sense for like Monster Hunter because the weapons are so deep right? and like what you can do in complex, like no other games like really like that. Right. And especially like a Zelda game. Right. And, and just... That, I guess that wasn't even really about Breath of the Wild because something that I love about Breath of the Wild is how well it handles improvisation. Mm-hmm. Where uh, because of the systems in place, you have plenty of moments where um, y- you have to think creatively or you, could, you just have moments where you're like, I wonder if I can do that. And then you can. Ben, that has been a constant thing for me throughout this game. It's yeah. like me, someone saying something to me, like telling me about someone like, oh yeah, I forgot you could, you could do that in this game. Just something constantly like, hey, put your lightning sword on the ground next to this thing and it'll have a current going or something like that. Or like, hey, use your magnet to swing this giant box and kill some guys. It's like, man, I didn't even like think about a lot of this stuff, but the amount of stuff you can do in this game is crazy. Yeah. Especially this physics engine. It reminds me of like, it doesn't function the same, but kind of like when the gravity gun came out. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, whoa, look at all this crazy shit you could do in Half-Life 2 with the gravity gun. And I'm still getting that feeling of Breath of the Wild, like, hitting this, like, stasis and hitting the stone, riding the stone as it launches into the air. Just, like, weird, goofy shit you could do in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ian, with 
I think Breath of the Wild for being generally regarded as sort of this 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 landmark game and being so highly regarded. Do you think that level of prestige is makes Breath of the Wild two uh, kind of a a not a worrisome prospect, but it's like can you can you recapture that magic again, right? Can you can you present it as convincingly? Can you do enough to? Um, capitalize on the strong <clears throat> points while also making <clears throat> you feel new i think yeah like definitely we know more what to expect now and because it's a two you know there's an expectation that it will you know how much will it just continue the same systems and styles of the first game right or will it try to really um think outside the box and i think just based on that one little teaser that we saw them being underground and stuff and and due to the you know the very common complaint of not having like traditional dungeons um right i think that it an easy thing to do would be like oh well, there are these eight dungeons that were under hyrule this whole time mm-hmm. uh and like you know encounter those um and so i think you could you could keep the same systems that you had from breath of the wild one and i'm hoping that they don't do something like you lose all your tools again and stuff because i mean you, you get every <laughs> what you will yeah well but like in breath of the wild one one thing i liked is that you just start with everything and then it's all just like about the puzzle of how to use the tools yeah you, the sheikah you know? slate yeah, yeah. and uh. like so hopefully you know you just start with all the stuff you had at the end of breath of the wild one not talking about the weapons but just like you know the bomb and the yeah ice thing and all that um and yeah i think that they they should not take things away they should just add things to it uh, primarily dungeons and i mean if you can play a zelda that would be my number one (laughs) thing yeah um i'm not worried i'm i'm excited to play it uh and i mean like i think breath of wild one earned enough trust for me that I'm pretty confident it'll be good, but sure. eh, who knows? <laughs> um, so, Brad, you did you did Wind Waker before Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. right? No, I did Wind Waker, then Ocarina of Ocarina Time. Of Time. Okay, yeah, and then yeah, Breath, Breath of the Wild. Wild. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually something when I when I get into a Zelda kick that I appreciate so much is Ocarina of Time to Wind Waker to Breath of the Wild. All of those feel so dramatically different. Oh yeah, um, just in terms of of style and and scope um that's what makes zelda i think part of it part of what makes it mm-hmm. such a captivating series is there any interest in continuing on with another zelda game after breath of the wild i want to take a break sure probably i, I, I definitely want to play more zeldas like i want to play majora's mask at some point yeah i want to play skyward sword at some point probably princess at some point but I'm going to play something different. Sure. Like, I'm thinking about playing Demon Souls, maybe. Ooh, that would be good. Remake. Right before the remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. to brush up on it. But yeah. Can you still do online co-op in nope. Demon Souls? It's not oh, online anymore. No, man. No more. I was going to say, yeah. that would be fun to... Yeah, it would be. ...group up in Demon Souls, but... Oh, well. It's gone. Uh, so, that Destroy All Humans remake came out. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I played through all of it. Oh. Yeah. And um when they released Destroy All Humans, this is a while ago. They were they released like a PS4 version of the PS2 game. 
um, I had missed, I had messed around with it a little bit and I really liked the, the style and the vibe and just the idea of playing is like this evil alien menace, uh, and causing chaos, just this, this idea of like, oh wait, no, no, no. Did I put, what? I'm trying to think if <laughs> my first experience actually might've been the demo for the remake. Not the PS4, PS2 version. I must be thinking of something else. I think my you play first, a lot of games. It's fine. Yeah, I think my first experience with it was the remake demo, because it was. I just remember the. Oh, my cat's here again. <laughs> this is going great. Uh, no, my first experience. I'm sorry, I misspoke. I thought it was the PS4, PS2 port, but it was the remake demo. And what I liked was all the things that I was saying. I liked causing chaos. I liked. Uh, the idea of just destroying humanity as this little alien. Um, but now playing through the full game, um, it, I have, I, I like it a lot overall. I think some of the humor uh, has aged like milk. Like some of it is just <laughs> terribly unfunny. Uh, what I would describe it as is like an inappropriate uncle at a family oh. gathering. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, it's, but some of it is great. Some of it is legitimately super funny. It's just very hit and miss. So I would describe the humor. Like one scene that I super appreciated is you disguise yourself as the mayor and you're trying to like calm down the populace. And because uh, they're, they're all concerned about all these things that have been happening. You don't want them to become more knowledgeable about the the alien threat that is happening. And so in your mayor disguise, you are trying to calm them down. And the way that you rile them up, like you actually have a meter, like a smile face meter, and you have to say the right thing. And every single time, if you just blame everything on like the Red Menace and the commies, they just freak oh. out. And if you <laughs> just funny. sort of play into like blind patriotism and just say vague things that it's like, hell yeah, America, they just, they're just like, oh, this guy's right. And they completely forget about everything they were concerned about. So that stuff uh, lands very, very well. And um, the weapons are super fun. Like every weapon kind of goes out of its way where either just the way that it feels or especially the way they sell it visually is fantastic. Like you get this, this your basic weapon is this chain lightning gun where you can shoot lightning at somebody and you can upgrade it to where it spreads against everybody and then just like being shocked in the air and going la, 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 is funny. Um, you get a disintegration ray where you can light them on fire and you just expose their skeletons and it's super fun. Uh, you get a probe where you actually shoot a probe at them and it goes inside them and uh, it's hilarious. And uh, you can like pop out their brains and use oh. it to like quickly recover your shield. Um, so all that stuff is super fun. And yeah, I need to talk more about it with Don because I know Don was a big fan of the original. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't I didn't have the context for the original that he does for sure. Um, and so I'd love to talk about his experiences with it. But something that surprised me is I think I assumed with a title like Destroy All Humans that it would be um, kind of always chaos. Like it would be much like the demo presented where you just kind of run around killing humans on foot or getting in your saucer and destroying the hell out of everything. And it's not. Um, there are a lot of stealth missions where 
you have to kind of assume the disguise of somebody and avoid, uh, you know, like these, these, they're FBI agents, they're majestic agents that can see through your disguise or these sort of like, uh, electrical things that can drain your disguise very quickly or like interrupt it or something, but just basically these areas that you don't want to get into to avoid something. Um, and then sometimes you'll have to like manage multiple points where it's like, oh, I have to defend these two different objectives. And uh, you really have to think about how you're using your resources and uh, mobility and that sort of thing. And that makes upgrades really valuable. Um, like you get this ability to kind of dash um, and you can upgrade that where you can just kind of skate around the ground for a long period of time. And it's like, mm. oh, this is a huge ability. This this really helps me out. And I have to invest in it a lot. Um, and ammo becomes a big concern and refilling it can be slow. And so increasing ammo capacity on guns make a huge difference. And I always love when upgrades are so consequential. So that's great. Um, but yeah, it's just really fun. I also like how short missions are. Like you do some of these missions and I swear some of them are like five to 10 minutes long and it's just yeah. onto the next mission on the next thing for a game like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, that's appropriate. Yeah. It's super short. It did not take me, it took me like four or five hours to finish. Um, just puts into this. Oh, wow. So it's very, very short. Um, it is only $30, which is nice. Man, there you go. But, um, yeah, it looks good for sure. It looks super cool. Good. Heck yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think something that I really like about remakes in general is, you know, I didn't have a lot of familiarity with the original Destroy All Humans. And so it was like, oh, this is a second chance to kind of experience this thing. Has that ever happened to you guys with a remake where you you weren't that familiar with the original, but you were kind of curious about it and it was a good excuse to dive in? Hmm. Let me think about that. A remake. Uh, I can't think about a remake i think scholar of the first sin is really good it's not a remake but it's like they, a rearranging like, it's like a almost. remix yeah yeah a big patch <laughs> yeah um, this demon souls has got me real excited yeah, yeah. You, wait you've never played demon souls right or you have I've played it yeah I've okay it. but is there anything in that you hadn't played the original but you played the remake and you loved it huh i can't think of any Oh, I I played uh, Yakuza Kiwami one and two. I never played the originals. Nice. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess those. And that's a great way to go through. Yeah. Yakuza one, Yakuza Kiwami yeah. is a great way to go through Yakuza one. So and fun. Yakuza Kiwami two is also excellent because I hadn't played. I had played one, but I hadn't played Yakuza two, and I mm -hmm. love Kiwami two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess it's remakes. I mean, obviously, necessarily, kind of mostly happen for the big big boy games that everyone wants a remake of you know for the nostalgia mm -hmm. so most remakes but i mean like special editions i've played as the first time like persona 4 golden and stuff mm -hmm. uh but yeah i can't think of a remake where i played the remake as the only version it's kind yeah. of happened to me twice with thq nordic because i with destroy all humans and then spongebob battle for bikini bottom i hadn't played the original and huh. oh yeah that's a great example yeah, yeah i never yeah. played that either i uh and i really like that game yeah man it's that super game's cool. fun yeah. yeah it's cool um 
this is not a SpongeBob battle for Bikini Bottom talk, I guess, but how different every single world is in that game. Is, yeah, man. It's pretty rad for sure. Um, yeah. Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning. That one will be cool. Have you played Reckoning before? I never played it. I Yeah. Um, the game was a lot of fun. I did not care about the world or the lore at all, but I really liked the combat quite a bit. Man. That game did not click with me when I played it back in the day. Yeah. I am very curious. I'm going to revisit it, so I'm very curious to see how I feel about it now. Yeah. Nice. I'm sorry the intro to that Destroy All Humans talk was so confusing and all over the place. I was like misremembering it, and my cat jumped on my lap, and it was it was a Frame mess. trap, baby. Frame trap, baby. That's the way it goes. Natural I'm so I'm so warm that I can't even, like, process <laughs> anything anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's in- so hot in here. You're going to have to process your feelings on Desperados 3. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. On my list. Dude, that game is good. Uh, I I haven't finished it or anything. I'm still in the, like, I don't know. I've done, like, five or six of the quests. And each, each mission takes, like, a hot minute. It, like, you know, you'll play for an hour or so per level, or if not more. Um, but, yeah, it's just really good. The... It feels like a puzzle game more than uh, most uh, tactical combat games I've played. It, it feels it really does feel like each level is a series of little just situational puzzles that you have to figure out. And I really appreciate that. And you have to use all your abilities and, and, and people at your disposal. And you can get pretty creative with some of the solutions. Uh, I try to get through stuff without shooting guns if i can but sometimes you get to the point where it's just like all right nope (laughs) like Mm -hmm. guns blazing time and then i did a level recently that was like a whole bunch of like dudes were trying to we're like shooting at this barn or this farm and uh i decided i was just going to take them all out and so i was like going around systematically like I got everyone on the edge and then I was, they're grouped up in the middle and I was like, okay, how am I going to handle this one? And I just had to like go for it. And it was a lot of fun. That game is cool. And it looks really nice and it Mm. works on a super dumb wide monitor. It's a, it's a good game. One of my favorites of this year, I would say probably so far. When you say it's like a puzzle game, that's really interesting to me. Um, Because I think just the last couple of years, I've seen so many things based explicitly off of the XCOM style um, that there, there are a lot of similarities between many of them. Like, you know, gears tactics obviously takes off of, of, of XCOM uh, Mm -hmm. as a recent example. But uh, when you say it's like a puzzle, that's interesting because I think sometimes what can kind of burn you out on XCOM is like things going so wrong is part of the fun and, and having to work through that is part of the fun. But sometimes like things can go wrong so hard and so consistently that you're kind of just like you feel hopeless and i think your motivation to go forward drains a little bit that's something that's that's really interesting about desperados 3 is like the uh quick save functionality is encouraged it's part of the game it's it like straight up on the first level they're just like hit f5 all the time like all the time, yeah. quick save constantly. And if it's been more than a minute since you've saved, it'll tell you. It'll be like, you know, the timer comes up and it's like you haven't saved in liter- in more than a minute. 
and uh it it makes it have like this totally weird other this totally weird other kind of focus it's it's things will go wrong and you get to see it and you get to have fun with with the aftermath of everyone getting decimated and i mean your team is only like two or three people usually you know so you you can die in one turn and you've just you're done you know uh so then you reload your save and go okay well that didn't work and you try a different tactic so it's it's like braid almost where you just you try a thing and then trial and error but it doesn't feel what's what's really amazing about it is like it doesn't at least so far for me it doesn't feel like you're just like bashing your head against a wall until something works you're trying out different tactics and it feels strategic like it doesn't feel like saves coming yeah i don't know it's just a really cool dynamic that i think it gets around the the devastating frustration of some of those moments where like two hours into a level on XCOM, you get destroyed and then it's just all gone yeah uh this one is like you can have the fun of getting destroyed and then just immediately load your quick save you know it's like instant you know it's great (laughs) um do you have like a like a a crew of people that all have different abilities that you have to utilize in a given mission and I, i guess what are what are some of those abilities like yeah so uh of the characters that i've met so far i think there are four that i've met so far and uh the main guy you know he's got a coin he can throw to make people turn their head and look a certain way and then you can Mm. like sneak up on them and get them and uh he's like medium speed at dragging bodies you know there's a big guy uh who is the only one strong enough to take out some of the bigger like over overseer enemy guys um he's got an axe he can throw uh i think uh he's got a bear trap uh maybe he doesn't have an axe but he uses an axe to to get people I i don't remember if he can throw it but uh, he's got a bear trap that, and then you can like whistle and lure people toward it. Hmm. Um, and then like you have to go back and claim the bear trap again. Oh, the main guy can throw his knife. That's right. And you have to go and get the knife back. But it's a silent kill. Um, then there's another guy who has a, a doctor's bag that he can throw out. And it'll make people curious and they'll go and look at it. And then a knockout gas will come out of it. And so you'll have like two or three seconds where they're knocked out and you can go and kill them or knock them out entirely, tie them up, throw them in a bush or something. Um, and he's got a lethal injection thing for his silent melee. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the there's a woman named Kate, I think, who can disguise herself so she can take the like costume of a, of another person on the level and then like blend into most enemies and they won't think she's suspicious, um, which is very cool. And then she can uh, flirt with the men and keep them distracted. So you can like have her go and flirt with a with a man and have him looking the other way because you can see the um, their cone of vision all the time. And uh, and the really cool thing is uh, you can orchestrate all these moves to kind of play out. So you can I think hit shift. And it goes into uh, like a planning mode. And then you do all the stuff you want them to do. So you can say like, okay, you're going to 
you're going to run here and then throw your knife at that guy. You're going to throw your satchel out here and get the gas, and then you're going to come over here and get the body and drag it or whatever. And they'll all wait. Uh, so once you get out of the planning mode, you're just waiting. And so like you can wait for the, the bad guys to walk right where you need them to be and then hit the button and everyone will execute their move at the same time. Mm. Um, so it's really a lot of fun. And you can... Uh, you can cancel it if you if it if it's gonna go bad. And like what's cool is you can set up you don't have to orchestrate everyone. So you can like you can manually control one person but have a move set up for another thing. So it's like you can have one guy go and say, Okay, when I throw the knife here, I'm gonna hit the button and make the doctor snipe this guy. Uh the doctor has a sniper rifle. And uh it gets really neat. Like with that, you can plan stuff out and execute things at the exact same time. Um, which gets really fun when like you've got two people that would see the other, like I've had situations where there's a bad guy on the left and right, and they're both looking the other way. And if I time it wrong, one, one of them will see me kill the other one. Right. But if it's timed right, you get them both at the same exact time. And then you don't set off an alarm. It's it's just a hoot. You can get into really weird scenarios like that hmm. all the time. That sounds like a lot of fun, and so like it it kind of reminds me of XCOM, where you you have sort of those strategies where it's like, okay, I'm gonna go and you know try to make this guy come over here and so all my overwatch will trigger at the same right. time and it's like oh i want to wipe out i want to kind of funnel them all into this area and then take them out but it sounds like even more intricate i guess it's like um, a more than... advanced overwatch is yeah. it like yeah. commandos this game um i played commandos a long time ago so i don't okay. remember but it, it does like it. yeah i think it has more of that kind of vibe yeah okay. mercenaries cool. or commandos kind of vibe when you Set up these plans, which sounds really fun to do, and then watching them uh, happen. Is there like a pretty good chance that like a step in the plan will go wrong, and you'll oh, have yeah. to sort of like pick up the pieces or improvise? Oh, absolutely! Like, uh, oftentimes you'll like, uh, <laughs> you'll have walked instead of you'll you'll have clicked once instead of twice, so they'll just like slowly saunter out oh, with no. the walk you know and then like you're just like no why aren't you going faster yeah. <laughs> or you won't realize that like uh you know yeah the timing or distance will get wrong if you wait too long and stuff like that so they'll have to like adjust because they'll they're not stupid about it they'll um you know if you say like you go kill this guy without adding in a run step yourself you know they'll go and do whatever they need to do to make that happen there was a time where I, I clicked the wrong thing or did the wrong thing and like made one of my characters run upstairs and try to like kill this other guy. Like right when this, you know, it just, I got into, you get into sticky pickles. Yeah. Sticky wickets. I got to check funny. this out. The game it's, is awesome. Like yeah. I, I, I honestly think like it, it, it should come up in goatee discussions at the end of the year. It's, I know Huber really likes it. Jones liked it. I think he, yeah, I don't know if he kept playing it, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. I feel like strategy games are kind of like uh, sports games or racing games or fighting games even where they're just sort of like immediately discounted when it comes to the mm -hmm. game of the year. Not not yeah. always, right? Like I think XCOM Enemy Unknown, by, it did. It won Game Trailers Game of the Year in like 2012 or something. Yeah, but, whenever that was. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, usually those genres don't get great representations and we haven't always been great about representing them. And so to, to, to have you say like, oh, it's one of the best games of the year uh, is encouraging, I think. So far, I mean, I haven't beaten it yet, but yeah, it's real good. Yeah, I mean, those games can be pretty long. I wonder, I yeah. wonder how long it is. I mean, I'm hours in, and I think it's still chapter one. You know? Oh yeah, wow! Like I've done, I've done whatever it was, four or five or six missions. I don't recall, but uh, yeah, it's still, still chapter one. <laughs> but what's nice about it is the way it's structured. Is you can kind of definitely, uh do like a chap or a, a mission in a, in an evening and then you feel satisfied you're like okay great and i'm gonna yeah. go do something else now cool yeah well we're gonna do something else right now and that is the hotake uh i wanted to do a fun hotake this time sometimes you know we we, we do a lot of like pondering recent events there's nothing really that uh, is prompting this hotake other than Bradley Ellis and Ian Hanker on the panel. I thought it mm. would be fun. And it's going to be very loose, very free-flowing. Go nuts. I want to talk about Elden Ring. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and what I want to talk about Elden Ring is I want to see, you know, we're, we have, there's not that much that's out there about right. the game. Uh, we know that George R.R. Martin contributed to the world building. Uh, we know that it is, you know, quote unquote, a natural evolution of Dark Souls. Um, and so I guess before I, I kind of dig into specifics, off the top of your head, what do you want out of Elden Ring? Um, one thing I know they're doing is what I really wanted is more of an open world. Yeah. Like riding on a horse, like obviously past Souls games have been large, but they're very like you're on foot and you're running through like little areas, pretty much like section, 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 section. I want something more open ended, like going somewhere, getting a quest for some guy, talking to him, maybe some dialogue exchange and going out and like doing something like more like Witcher kind of like design, like world design i guess and how it's laid out no so there's any combat relax i'm just saying like how it's like quests are laid out stuff like that you know like maybe go to a message board ben and get a quest off that mm-hmm. go kill something i don't want like i don't want it to go to stray so far away from soul's heritage that it will have a whole bunch of like cutscenes and you know, like taking camera control away and talking to people for a long, long time and stuff like <laughs> S- that. Like slowly following somebody as they deliver exposition to you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I do not want that. And like, yeah, what I want it to be is, yeah, just big dark souls, I guess. Like, <laughs> But like faster, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's hard to say. Like, I, I hope there's not a such a strict combat system as in Sekiro because mm. I didn't really love that. Um, I want there to be various weapons. I assume there will be since it's an open world that kind of just implies lots of character choice, but who knows? Right. I'm a little concerned about George R. R. Martin's involvement because uh, I think that the lore stuff that from software does 
in all their games so far well you know the souls games and bloodborne and sekiro like it's in my opinion like the strongest some of the strongest world building and lore in video games and the execution has never been lacking and i don't think they need outside help and uh game of thrones the show you know right. wound up to be quite a disappointment but i know that germ has all kinds of lore and stuff and the books are filled with i hear sometimes tedious amounts of detail about like the history and then about trees and certainly about breasts uh but yeah i don't know i just hope that i hope he doesn't inject too many like like oh you have to go to a bar and talk to someone for six minutes you know i don't think it's like he's i don't think he's involved in that sense i right. think he's more involved in like the mythos of the world that's that's my understanding as well um just so, like, yeah just quickly looking it up on wikipedia before the show something that i read that i thought was interesting is he he said something along the line miyazaki said something along the lines of it feeling like he like George R. R. Martin was giving him like a dungeon master's guide, uh, like like a like a rule book equivalent mm -hmm. for a tabletop game, and then he was sort of taking that general guideline and then making his own world, which to me mm -hmm. sounds like kind of the best of both worlds, where it's like, okay, yeah. this is this this is my this is my playset. Let me play right, and so then I think, you know, you you don't get too far away from what from software, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, is known for i don't i don't want them to be i don't want it to feel too much like a, a souls game too much where i'm like like feeling way too familiar with a lot of stuff yeah I'm like okay yeah, i'm consuming souls right now okay i'm running back to my body now I'm kind right of like right a lot of the same stuff i really want from software to kind of experiment more and i don't want them to feel like they have to kind of just fall into this style of game just because what people liked in their past works but I expect big things in this game, especially because they considered Sekiro a a little spicy action game. This kind of feels like their big, their next big thing. Yeah. It's but interesting. Still... Oh, you go. good. No, I mean, I was just going to say, I still think a lot of the elements people like from past games will be here. Like yeah. things you like about a lot of their other games, but I don't want it to play out mechanically necessarily the same way. Yeah, as long as like the feeling I don't want to change from souls or sekiro is just like you know and i don't expect it would but their controls and and the mm -hmm. immediacy of the in, in, inputs and stuff i think are top top notch so i don't want that and i don't expect it would I change think, yeah, the same yeah but uh yeah I, I i also expect them to shake things up yeah hopefully yeah i mean Maybe it'll have more in common with Breath of the Wild than it will Sekiro or something. You know, Maybe, that'd be yeah. interesting. Well, uh, the trailer, the trailer I noticed, I just rewatched it. It's got a lot of like severed limbs and like putting limbs back on and holding mm -hmm. up limbs and stuff. Yeah. So I'm wondering if there's going to be some kind of like dismemberment uh, yeah. mechanic. Like replacing parts on yourself. Yeah, like. Maybe. Like whatever that boat, that ship. Uh, what is it called? Uh, that myth of the ship where it's like how much of this ship is still the original ship, the Argus or no, I don't remember, but uh, yeah. I wonder if you're not even the same person at the end of the game when you, because yeah. you've replaced all your parts or something. Yeah. Um, Brad, you, 
saying that you don't don't want it to be overly familiar and you don't want them to feel like they're locked into a particular style. I think that's a really good comment. Um, and something that I think from has done a very commendable job of is like Bloodborne felt like a natural extension of that style, but had enough mm-hmm. differences mm-hmm. both thematically and mechanically to make it interesting. And then I think Sekiro is the same thing where, where they, they sort of like take a lot of the good fundamental lessons that they've learned um, and, and find ways to build off of it that feel unique. Um, yeah. Would you want an even more dramatic departure in Elden Ring? I just kind of like, I want them to make whatever game they want to make. Right. Is kind of where I'm at with them because I trust them so much. I just don't want them to feel like, I don't know if they do it, but that's just me just being like, I don't want them to feel like they have to make a certain game because that's what people expect from them. I kind of want them to make whatever game they want to make. Yeah. And like, I could just be like, thinking about it too much but i do worry about that to an extent yeah but i i want to frame this conversation correctly where it's like you know we're not saying these are not demands yes. i think it's just fun especially since so little is known to yeah go wild. but like i think it'll still be like a very challenging game mm-hmm. it'll be a dark fantasy kind of game or a dark tone game because that's just kind of like what they like to make yeah so i think a lot of those elements will still be there for sure I, I think a lot of uh, what could be new in Elden, Elden Ring yeah. comes from the world, right? Yeah. And uh, something, yeah. the game that I keep thinking of when I when I kind of uh, think about the feeling that I want Elden Ring to have is Shadow of the Colossus, where uh, a feeling what that a feeling. I, I love in Shadow of the Colossus is when you just kind of go in the world and it feels like you don't know what you're going to find. There's th- There's kind of this like, desolate nature to the world and it's very Mm -hmm. sparse and i love the idea of just like running off into the direction and then you find this giant creature and you're in a big battle i think a weakness of shadow of the colossus world is that it's it's a little bit too sparse and there's not enough in there but i think that kind of general vibe i would really love in elden ring where it's not like here's your quest list right like here's Mm -hmm. your main quest here's your side quest i don't really want that i want it to feel like a souls game where things aren't like quantified so well but you can just kind of go off in a direction and get involved in somebody like maybe you just meet somebody and you know they take you to this place you end up going through a whole area like i kind of want the painted world effect where you just have this huge open world and you go somewhere and like depending on where you go you kind of get your own painted world you get your own like level sort of to to wander through but it's all interconnected i think it'll have like it'll have a main quest you should do but Mm -hmm. i think they'll present it in a way like they do with past games where it doesn't necessarily feel like quest log right like you'll have an objective and you know you kind of have to do but there'll be plenty for you to experiment and find along the way yeah yeah my my hope is like how breath of the wild's world rewarded you for just looking around and and things really were emergent in that way. Like that's my main hope with this, because yeah, they've got the gameplay foundation rock solid, and their world design has been so good, but it's been so meticulously ordered in like a you know Metroidvania kind of sense. So yeah, I'm I'm curious what it'll be, and I think that that'll have to be part of it is like just rewarding discovery and taking chances and looking around. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
They, yeah, they've done that in the past, pretty much with all their games. So yeah, I think it'll continue. Um, something that I that I like about Sekiro is by limiting you you, you to kind of one weapon they can build the mechanics of that weapon mm-hmm. in in a specific way where they can build off it to the point where you get to the final boss and it's like okay you really need to have mastered uh kind of the, the fundamental elements of these mechanics i like that and i think something with souls like i appreciate the weapon variety I and mean, i appreciate you being able to kind of find what you like but i wish there was a way maybe within terms of the the progression where you could kind of like start somewhere with a weapon and then the more you use it you get greater proficiency for that weapon specifically like whether that's expanding moves or greater defensive options or something like just sort of this idea of of weapon mastery beyond kind of the stats that those weapons uh focus on if that makes sense they, well, yeah, it just depends how many weapons they want to have, I guess. Right. Because with that system, you can't have really have repeats. Sure. It seems like you can only have, like, one type, which I, I don't have a problem with at all. Like, you got, like, one two-handed axe. Maybe, like, I don't know if this is the best way to do it, but just, for example, they could do a skill tree for it. Maybe not necessarily where you get stats up, but, like, you'll learn some new ability with it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, and this is, you know, off the top of my head, not fully thought through but i love the idea right like ian you you talking about blades of mercy right and how kind of like attached you are to that weapon type it would be neat if there was like an ian blades of mercy style right where there was like Uh. move a move list or like a weapon skill tree that you specifically went down that felt different from other people's blades of mercy like absolver (laughs) oh is that what absolver i haven't played absolver so i I think i I believe it was Absolver, not Ashen. I think it's Absolver where you can like craft your own fighting style. Yeah, that's Absolver. Yeah, you or like pick a, all your Ashen. moves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Absolver. So you like pick all your moves and stuff. It was kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. That's like all hand to hand though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's all. Yeah. So it's like more it's like, like when you get super depth like that with a specific thing, it's, you can't have as much variety, I guess, in weapon types. But, I like, think hey, the way whatever. to... The way to do sort of what you're describing is take it more of a Bloodborne path where, yeah, there's only like 20 or 30 weapons mm-hmm. and you like, you know, yeah. but I mean, in an open world game, like, again, I assume the assumption with most open world games is, you know, you'll be finding all kinds of stuff, but not every open world game is like that. You, you know, not every open world game has hundreds mm-hmm. of weapons. So <laughs> um, kind of keeping along this this weapon conversation do you want magic to be in Elden Ring? And if, if so, what sort of, how would you like to see it manifest? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, sure, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> again, looking at the trailer, like, people seem to have, like, a disease or, like, their arms have, like, weird, like, scales and or drying out or something. So I'm wondering if, like, decay is a theme or something like that. But yeah. sort of like how hexes worked in Dark Souls 2 and 3, where it's, like, you gotta sacrifice something to do the magic mm. in a way. I think that would be kind of cool. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's all speculation, but it'd be neat. I wonder. You mentioned like 
decay. And we were talking about Breath of the Wild. And obviously, you know, weapons have durability and souls. Um, but it, it's not like a, a concern to the same degree that it is in something like Breath of the Wild. Do you think, I, I guess, more demanding durability could be interesting in the context of a big world? Like, like, like you have to like switch arms or something in the middle of a fight or hmm. um maybe it even like be. a devil may cry 5 system where with like nero where you can arms can break or you can like kind of cash in uh yeah it seems like they kind of experimented that with the prosthetic arm and secure you know you have like the spirit emblems to do that right you need like a currency to do that i could see them doing something like that ben like evolving it some way mm-hmm. i'm not sure what Hmm. Yeah, well, uh, it, I was just going to say it's funny because they, they really dialed it up in Dark Souls 2. The durability, I think, yeah. was the fastest in that, and then they kind of stepped it back for Dark Souls I think Souls it, was, 3. it wasn't great in Pat Souls games' durability. I yeah. don't think it's really done in an interesting way. They kind of stepped away from it, I feel like. I if they can incorporate what the interesting, point of it is. Yeah, exactly. It just feels like <laughs> weird. Like if they incorporate it in an interesting way, Ben, and design the game much more around it, then I'm, I think it'd be cool. I always like the idea. I think it it's like crystal weapons, where it's like, oh, they're they'll do good damage, but they'll they break. break super easily. I, it, it never, f- yeah, I felt like it was never <laughs> explored in a super interesting way. But I think the the base concept is, yeah, kind of neat. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about lore, um, right? Where where I think Sekiro was a big departure in the sense that like you were a named character in this world. You're going to be creating your own character mm-hmm. in Elden Ring. Um, we mentioned uh, mixing things up and having it feel new, right? And the, these games, the Soulsborne games, are are renowned for how they present lore and how much you have to piece together yourself. And kind of the more you dig into it, the more you get out of it. Um, and obviously that's a great thing. I'm not criticizing that style in any way, but would you want Elden Ring to feel like very similar to that? Or, or is there sort of any other storytelling that you'd be interested in? Well, the first mm. the first evolution that comes to mind is just like, you can have a created character that still talks. Right. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, but like, my favorite thing about FromSoft games is their immediacy. And like we talked about before, like you don't want to have to sit through three hours of preamble before you actually start hitting things. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm to this, I'm to such an extreme that like, I don't even like it when games take camera control away from me, you know, like I, right. I prefer constant, I'm constantly in the driver's seat and it never takes that away. Um, which incidentally, I think Alana pointed out that for Cyberpunk, they say that's only going to happen like three or four times the whole game where they take the camera and show you something. And I was like, oh, that's unexpected. But uh, so, yeah, I, I want I want a From Software open world game to feel like a From Software game to have that kind of discipline, that kind of immediacy. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to you know, lots of NPCs you can talk to for brief little snippets here and there if you want and stuff like that too. I think of uh, Outer Wilds, Ian, 
Yeah. Um, because perfect example. Yeah. Um, like thinking, thinking about Dark Souls, and you know, there there is obviously openness in the Souls games, and there are different areas that you can go to. But I think about really expanding that, and and sort of this idea of of, of an open world where you can kind of go in any direction, and applying kind of the Souls formula of storytelling to that, I think is really interesting because, like, just this idea of you can experience the locations in in such a freeform order that maybe your understanding of the story will be different depending on your sequencing of of locations that yeah. could be really neat and could be mm-hmm. like a cool incentive for playing multiple times um right like and that's another souls thing that i think is always fascinating is NPCs where it's like, okay, you have to do this specific thing at this specific time in order to get the full story. I think yeah. when you apply that to an open world uh, that is that is um, a lot looser, um, the potentials there are are even more dramatic. Like, oh, you may not meet this character if you don't go here until later. I think that mm-hmm. could be really cool. I think the Outer Wilds comparison. I think that's that is a really solid idea. I think I think that that has a good chance of being what this game is like, where it's you can go to any number of places and learn different things. Yeah, sorry, I got like dust in my nose or something. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I think that's right on the money, Ben. Um, let's talk about boss fights really quick before we wrap up this conversation. Um, Brad, what do you want to see at an Elden Ring boss fights? Um. Well, I think I like so I like from software how they handle bosses. I think the bosses will be like that again. Mm-hmm. These like challenging encounter kind of things, just like the weird type of bosses they could present. I think is what's interesting to me and like what they can do to make it stand out. Like I always think of like one of my favorite bosses of all time now is from Sekiro's the final boss of that game. Yeah, and just the situation they put you in of this like almost gauntlet of phases and each phase feels completely different from each other right and just how different that felt from like past souls games like obviously they expanded they like experimented that and like dark souls 3 and stuff like that i just think some of the enemies could be like the strength of that and like with their move set like obviously every now and then it's fun to be like you're fighting two bosses at one time right but uh, i would like something that feels new some sort of like event, but I worry about those not being fun. Like I think about boss fights that tried different things a lot of times, and it's like the Dragon God from Demon Souls or the Bed of Chaos, mm-hmm. where it's like I appreciate the idea of it, but I don't enjoy the act of it. Sure. Yeah, I I actually think Souls can have a problem with that, Brad, and I I yeah. I, I agree one hundred percent. Where like if like looking at Dark Souls one through three, it's like. Okay, you've done the like multi-person boss fights yeah. a little too much, and they feel a little too similar to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think something that I'd really like to see with the bosses is I, I find the bosses that I not always, um, but a lot of times that I am most interested in are ones that are kind of like built up, or you have some personal connection to. I think Sekiro does that. Mm-hmm. Even somebody like. Uh, Madam Butterfly like has this strong sense of character and story to yeah. her um, yeah. that or or like Artorius right like 
oh, th there's this really interesting journey of, of getting to this point. And there are a lot of bosses that have that, but when it when it feels very personal and human in a way, it really draws me in. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I want to, I love the feeling of when you're facing off with somebody, right? I think like like Virgil and DMC is a good example yeah. of this, where it's like, oh man, like I I know you're not just a, a bundle of mechanics. Like Yeah, you're something like, I think about like a companion you would have in the game maybe. For like half the game, yeah, the you have to end up fighting them or something like that. Yeah, yeah, just kind of that uh, that down to earth <laughs> connection with them. Yeah, like I'm cool with some weird monster kind of thing being in oh, this yeah. area. Yeah, like because it usually makes sense, like why it's there most of the time. Mm -hmm. But I agree, like some more narrative connections can really help strengthen a fight. For sure. Yeah, I like that too. Something I wondered about. Stop me if this is what Brad said too, but. Uh, thing i wonder about is because every every souls game and sekiro like have had arenas like they lock you into a place to fight the boss right and if mm -hmm. this is open world i wonder if you can leave leave yeah <laughs> like you know yeah that could be interesting can yeah. you just like stumble upon a boss go oh crap and leave Ian, I really like that idea. Yeah. That was not like, something I was thinking like, about at all. You're just in a big field and some yeah. boss comes at you or something. Yeah. Well, I, I think about um, Dark Souls 2 and the Pursuer. Right. And and yeah. like right. that, that, that <laughs> wasn't maybe utilized as well as it could have been, but a, gr no. a great idea. Um, like something that's just kind of hunting, hunting you. you. And maybe you don't finish the whole fight at once, but it's broken up over the course of this entire world and this feeling that you can encounter them at any time. A nemesis? Man, you could, yeah. You could have both. You could have the thing you said and this at the same time where, like, this person's hunting you throughout the whole game and, like, the damage you do to them maintains. Like, yeah. Yeah, and it just builds up and builds up. That'd be crazy, yeah. <laughs> kind of uh, bounce, bouncing off that, if, if you... There are, like, bosses that maybe you don't have to kill... Where it's like mm -hmm. you can make a decision to leave this thing alone and it'll change the world this way, but you can still progress and get to the ending. That, or you can it put it down yeah, yeah. and, you know, but or, or, or just the idea of like killing something not always being the way forward. Right. Where yeah. it's like, oh, you took down this boss. That's actually what you weren't supposed to do. Well, and like, or there's that's a consequence. A that's a strength of George R. R. Martin's world building, right? Is like mm -hmm. the politics, like everything is about like who controls which region and tra la la. And like, how crazy would it be in a FromSoft game? If like killing this boss makes this region friendly to you right. or something like you could have stuff like that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Like when I was talking about Witcher earlier, I'm like thinking about Witcher 2 a lot and like there's a point in the game like really early in the game you make a decision about who to go with and depending on that choice you like see things completely different like a completely different area and I wonder if they could do stuff like that like start the game you pick a kingdom or something you want online with and you like are with them something weird like that yeah would like, really help. Uh... Fire Emblem Three Houses is a great example yeah, of that. Sure, yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah. Crazy example of that. Right. Yeah. We had a question on the podcast that that we were all on, and the question was like, has a wait for a game like ever been 
brutal. I think it was like, have you ever played something and then the wait for the game is brutal? And we're not playing Elden Ring in this point, but this discussion is just making yeah. me so eager and excited yeah, for what's going to happen. Don't, there's so much we don't know about the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which I, is exciting. What's crazy, though, is like I ex- I fully expected to have seen more by now. I, I did, too. We all did, yeah. I did, too, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought Absolutely. this year we would have seen something. And, I mean, we still could, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have to wonder... Like, this has just been such a crazy year, and there have been so many understandable delays due to the situation. Yeah. I wonder if maybe we were supposed to be more and something was taken off the table or or what. But um, yeah, that is just I'm sure they, speculation. I'm sure they were impacted... By by this, yeah. Yeah. Uh, are we ready for some emails? Yeah. Are you ready for some emails? Our first email is about survival horror. Coming in from Jeff. Greetings and salutations, Ben and allies. I love survival horror games. The only catch is I love watching them being played rather than playing them myself. I find that when I play games like Silent Hill, Resident Evil, Fatal Frame, I'm so consumed with playing the game to get as much out of the experience um, than when I watch someone else play it. I can become fully invested when watching in the ambience and mood of the game when I do not have control over what is happening. I first noticed this quirk when I sat back and watched my friends play Eternal Darkness. I had way more fun watching them play rather than when it was my turn to play. Yet this is an entirely different experience to me comparing to watching a movie. I get far more of watching a horror game being played over watching a horror film. Does that make sense to the allies? Do you feel this way about any genre of games that maybe you enjoy watching overplaying i fully understand it like the yeah i understand it there's such cozy vibes sometimes with just watching especially a horror game yeah it just has that kind of like sleepover vibe you know and like Mm -hmm. i had a friend when i was a kid like i was too scared to play it alone and he didn't want to play it so he would come over and watch me play silent hill one and two uh and it was a blast (laughs) like uh, you know Mm -hmm. uh yeah, so I could I I understand that. Um, there was a night in high school where my group of friends we we stay up all night playing Silent Hill two, and just seeing those some of those story beats and moments together, that communal experience was incredible. It was so mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, I enjoy watching like pro StarCraft two. Because yeah, they're they're totally. they're playing. I think I think the reason why I enjoy watching it is not that I don't enjoy playing RTS games. I do, but they're just playing at a level like a million times beyond me. They just like mm-hmm. look like superhumans. <laughs> that it's fun. I don't do it very often, but something I do watch a lot is people playing fighting games. And again, I wouldn't say I enjoy watching more than playing, but I think when you're playing a fighting game. It's like, especially when you're at a low level, it's like, oh, I'm trying to like make sure I'm doing the correct input to get the move out or, you know, like, oh, wait, what was that combo again? Or like, whatever. There's so many things going through your brain. Whereas when you're watching, these people are just so practiced and skilled that they're thinking about things that you don't even really get to consider in the same way during a match. Um, And I find that very, very, very satisfying to watch and super enjoyable. Totally, yeah. Same with speedrunners. Like, oh yeah, AGDQ just has yeah. such vibes, you know. 
Yeah, that's a great example. Like, it's so weird watching some speedruns because they're... It's, it could be a game that you've played and know very well, but they're just approaching it in such a way that it seems like a completely different game. Yeah, you don't right? even think yeah. about Like, they're not even thinking the about way. the same things. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Uh, I appreciate Brett... the, the level of intimate knowledge that they have to have, too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brad, any games that you... Any genres that you enjoy watching more than playing? Uh, can't really... I guess maybe RTS, because I don't really play a lot of RTSs, but sometimes I watch like Warcraft 3 people play mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I guess that's about it. I think when I was younger, I was like that more, where I'd enjoy watching sure. more. Like, I used to watch, like, I watched T replay Resident Evil, of course, a, a million times. Yeah. But as I've gotten older, I've enjoyed, I found more enjoyment out of me actually playing them. Cool. There, some of the easy livings, like laying back and just like watching the other people play like Metal Gear or something. Mm-hmm. It's Could just be real, fun, yeah. Real chill, real yeah. nice. I liked watching them Kyle play Shrek for a bit, but then I just got bored. Yeah. Shrek. yeah yeah that's a good way of describing that yeah our next email comes in from matthew uh hey ben and panel what's your dlc threshold do you get all the dlc for the games you play none of it i have a feeling you're probably like me and it's a game by game basis but is there any type of dlc that gets an instant i'm in certain type of game slash genre is it additional characters levels or more story or is it as simple as i like it so i'll get it just curious to hear your dlc habits if you have any uh like he said earlier boring answer game by game yeah for me definitely yeah i'll like if it's a game i really like i'll do the season pass or whatever uh the types of dlc i like the most are obviously like you know story or like Mm -hmm. areas like the dark souls dlcs or something like that like i've i've bought you know an extra character here and there for a fighting game or whatever but usually that stuff doesn't (laughs) grab me as much but like you know your vermintide twos and such that have like here's a whole new bunch of levels that'll that'll get me but yeah it's Mm -hmm. game by game like i i'm picky enough about games as it is that like if i finish a game it's it's a it's a nice it means that game is really one of my you know really good and like only games i finish i'm likely to buy dlc for unless i'm feeling real brazen and in the early days and i buy the season pass because i'm like i'll never get tired of this and then you know there there are probably a few season passes i never even went and did but did you buy the pokemon one no i uh i had mercifully uh grown tired of of that game before the (laughs) dlc had been announced um i i feel like i miss out on dlc a lot not not always but i miss out on a lot just because i'm playing through so many things that like a lot of times dlc is delayed enough that it's like oh yeah cool i did love that i want to go back to that game but i'm too busy with other things that I'm playing. Um, and that happens a lot, which frustrates me. I wish I was better about um, some story DLC for games that I really cared about. Um, a type of DLC that I do really like a lot is uh, character DLC for fighting games. Mm-hmm. Because I think it can be hard to like constantly be committed to one game. 
uh, in any genre it, doing this job. And it's like, you're always bouncing around. You're always moving on to the next thing. And so a character is like, oh man, even if I just dive back in and just mess around with this character for a little bit, that's a good excuse to get back in this game. Um, and it's always fun just going through the moves and, and seeing what they add and what is different. And so I like character DLC a lot. For Would you consider games. an expansion DLC? I feel yeah. like expansion and DLC can be so vague at this point that, yeah. that they can feel kind of similar. I think expansion hmm. is just a big DLC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are my favorite then, just the big the big boy. And it's probably cheating, but like man, I've I've like, always considered them to be like the same Iceborne thing. is like an expansion. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, and I that's mean, another thing where like Monster Hunter World, I love so much that like not only am I in, obviously, for something like Iceborne, but I've spent a lot of money on, like, handler outfits and that sort of thing. Just because, like, you play that game so much that mm -hmm. that visual variety is nice. You know, it's just nice to have. So, yeah. So, it is game by game, ultimately. Our last email comes in from Varun Kechwaha. Varun Kechwaha. I hope I said that right. Hi, allies. Have you Varun ever... Kachwaha. Is that what it is? Maybe. maybe. Var Varun Kachwaha. I think that, that sounds better than what I said. They've commented mm -hmm. on reaction shots. So I don't know. I think Varun they told Kachwaha. me once. How to... Okay. Or Kachwaha? I don't know. We're sorry. Yeah. No, certainly not Not a slight. Uh, hi, allies. Have you ever thought, overthought something in a game and what was it? For me, I had two examples in Persona 5. I had no idea. I thought... These, even though I had played four golden before, I thought that there was some hidden morality system linked to the amount of shadows you killed during negotiations. It just seemed brutal to me. So the first palace, I avoided killing shadows until I realized that playing like that was untenable and tedious. Uh, the second one was, for some reason, I thought that the traitor in your team was linked to your social link system and how you talked to certain characters. For example, if my social link was low with Ryuji, and I always chose certain dialogue with him, that it turned out that he was the traitor. Have you had moments like that where you thought a system was more complex than it than it was? I mean, I can't think of a specific like example, but this happens all the time in puzzle games, right? Where you're like, yeah, you're just like sitting there overthinking it and overthinking it. And then when you finally realize the true answer, you're like, oh, all right. I was yeah. making this way yeah. hard on myself. <laughs> yeah. So that happens a lot. A recent one for me, Brad, uh, was Ghost of Tsushima, where... Oh, you asked me about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, just the way that they presented it, I convinced myself that if the more stealth kills that you did... And Brad quickly corrected me, but there was a moment where I thought the more stealth kills you did and the more you went away from your samurai yeah. code, that it would change the story. Oh, Omar uh, so thinks that, that, too. Is that not But true? it's like... I don't think no. that's like a even thing to think it's far-fetched based on their past history right with like infamous games right like a morality system but uh yeah i overthink stuff all the time in games yeah all the time puzzles like ian like yeah i was playing zelda i'm just like overthinking puzzles way too much yeah where it could just be so simple another good example of that and i, I feel like i've gotten maybe slightly better at this is in rpgs where you're like you you get too precious with like weapons or items where it's like oh, I gotta save this in case something really hard happens Dude, right. and then you end yeah. up beating the game and not using any yeah, of this stuff with twenty elixirs such a, yeah, such yeah, a yeah. bad habit yeah. yeah 
That's a good example. But also, it's like kind of fun because at the end, you're like, yeah. (laughs) I didn't (laughs) even need that stuff. Didn't even need that stuff. It it happens to me a lot, too, where uh, it happened to me recently um, where I'm like looking for an item or something and I assume that it's going to be like hidden deep into an area. So I'm like looking around forever and then someone else tells me like, oh, no, it's like it's right by the front. And I yep. just missed it, you know? It's just like, ah, yep. oh, damn it. <laughs> like, I wasted an hour and a half walking around like an idiot. Speaking of that, uh, I, I a feeling, one of the number one feelings that I hate on a stream is when you're playing a game and you're lost. And yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you feel bad that you're lost, but you're also just like, oh, this, this audience is just like watching me run around like an idiot. I hate <sighs> that I think feeling it's because so much. when you stream like a, a certain amount, like I'll just say, like a percentage of your focus is already gone. Yeah, yeah. oh, absolutely. You're on camera. Yeah, it's already gone. Yeah, and it could be a drastic number where you just miss something so obvious. Yes. Oh, uh, well, and because yeah. you you always have that concern of like not wanting, not wanting your gameplay to be boring. Right. So then it'll it'll cause you to like be hasty and make mistakes. Yeah, and yeah, end up making things take much longer. Much yeah. like not wearing a mask during a pandemic. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Uh, thank you to everybody who wrote it in an email. The email address is askeasyallies at gmail.com. One more time. That is askeasyallies at gmail.com. Some great questions uh, this episode. If you would like to send in a great question, uh, please do it. I, lo- I love reading through them. I love pondering them, all that stuff. Huge thank you to my panelists, uh, Bradley Ellis and Ian Hank, uh, for joining of course. me. Talking some Elden Ring. That was, that was fun. Um, Ugh, and yeah, I can't wait. I know, me too. We will see you next time.